Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits. How old are you, Johnny? She asked. Sixteen. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. A wise old king once said, Of the making of books, there is no end. How true today. Of the overabundance of writing published each year, what's worth reading? The answer is simple. Read only the best. Come join the discussion on Just the Best Literature. Well, hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. Well, on the last several podcasts, I was able to invite five of our SEP campers to come into the studio to discuss with me George Orwell's famous classic fable, Animal Farm. In case you are tuning into the podcast for the first time, you really should go back and listen to those podcasts. Now, they explain the background of why I interrupted our discussion of Orwell's 1984 and why we brought the campers in. And so I don't need to repeat that today. But I I think you really will enjoy those podcasts. Now, for those that have listened already, I hope you enjoyed listening to the campers as much as I enjoyed having them on the podcast. And I know uh, I've gotten some feedback from some of the parents, and they were really thankful that I was, I guess, gutsy enough to bring the the campers on. And uh, they were actually, uh, I thought it was very good for their their, uh, uh, sons and daughters to actually be on the radio and uh, kind of... uh, put them in a situation where they had to, you know, stand up and say what they really believe. So, yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. Now, actually, I have to say it turned out to be incredibly enlightening for me. Now, I have to admit that previous to these podcasts, I had never read Animal Farm. And I was, I was thinking back on it as I was getting ready for today's program. And uh, I think that when we were in high school, we were required to read Animal Farm over a summer break, but uh, I probably just didn't do it. Now, of course, that's a that's to my shame. But uh, I don't ever me reading. I don't ever remember reading Animal Farm until this uh, summer camp experience. Now, one thing that I want to say is Animal Farm is a little book, but it's packed with a lot of vital information on the dangers of Soviet-style socialism. Now, it is very simply written, and I think that's a tribute to uh, Orwell's genius. It's written like an Aesop's fable, but it has a lot of good education in it. In fact, I actually think uh, what I learned most about doing this with it, the, the uh, campers, it, the, the book Animal Farm is really, it's, it's great to read right along with 1984. And I think it will really help you understand 1984 better. And I think it actually helped me to understand uh, 1984 better. So now we'll be getting back into 1984 on our next podcast. And of course, I'm looking forward to having the men's panel back in the studio with me for that. And then uh, towards the when we finish the book, we're going to have the grand... I guess the grand gathering together in the studio. We're going to have the men's panel and the women's panel together to to finish up the book. So that'll give you a lot to look forward to. But for today's program, what I want to do is I want to give you some final thoughts on Orwell's Animal Farm. And the reason I want to do this is if you have not read Animal Farm, I really want to recommend that you do it. I think it would be well worth your time uh, it's a little book. There's 10 chapters. 
you can finish the book really if you wanted to spend a day you could finish the book in less than a day i uh i finished the book in two evenings probably about maybe four to five hours maybe six hours total and uh it, it's really easy to read and uh that again is uh I think is a big star for Orwell's genius. He he took a complicated subject and he made it really simple and really easy to understand. Now, the reason why I'm wrecking, recommending Animal Farm to you is I think it would be well worth your time because it will really give you insight into what is happening in America today. And I think it will also give you insight to what's happening in Britain and certainly in Canada and Australia and New Zealand and some of our other uh, English-speaking countries. And, uh, you know, there is a radical left movement to take over. And we have to see it that way. And we, we can't deny the fact anymore that there are people on the radical left actually in government that want a revolution. And we... we uh, we hear it on our news in America now. You're not going to hear it on the um, the liberal left news, uh, but you are going to hear it on more of the conservative uh, newsmakers and or news broadcasters. And they're warning us and warning us and warning us. And I just hope people are listening. And that is the exact same same reason why George Orwell wrote Animal Farm, and this was around the period of close to the end of World War II. And, uh, you know, he saw some really serious things happening in England. And uh, uh, he knew that he would get a backlash if he just, like, well, told the story as it is and named names and all that. But then he, what he did is he encapsulated it into a children's story so that it would be easier to read. But certainly people that were really intelligent enough will know or would know that he had a political reason for writing it. And so, so I do think, uh, for all the listeners out there, that we really have to wake up to what is happening. And, and uh, we are covering 1984 on the, on the, uh, in this broadcast, or I should say podcast. We're, we're, uh, well, we had this little interlude for Animal Farm, and it really goes together with 1984. And... Uh, people in the conservative news are talking about, well, this is Orwellian, or they're saying, well, just like in 1984, or can you believe that Orwell actually wrote this in 1984 and we see it happening today? Well, it's the same for Animal Farm. I mean, you could go back and even look at Animal Farm and say, wow, some of this is really happening today. So so I, I just thought I'd give you some final thoughts, and, and to help me do this today, I want to go back to uh, Michael Sheldon's authorized biography of Orwell. And I want to give you some really significant quotes from that book. And, and he understood this very well. And, and you know that we brought him on the radio and, and he, he gave us a very kind, uh, was able to give us a, you know, a good half hour uh, interview you know, about Orwell and, and uh, how he saw things today. So, so the, the first point I want to make for this program and in terms of discussion, and again, uh, there's no one else in the studio with me today except my um, my producer, Parker, is here with me. And uh, uh, I'm all by myself, but I'm going to uh, use some quotes from, from Michael Sheldon. So maybe you can pretend in your mind that 
that uh, Michael Sheldon is right here with us, uh, you know, in the studio. But uh, uh, w- one thing that I guess that the first point I want to make is Animal Farm is really not a fairy tale. And uh, again, the genius of of Orwell is he he put it into like a children's story, and because he wanted it to get out in England at the time. This is around World War II, at the end of World War II. And uh, if he would have just started talking about Joseph Stalin or if he would have started talking about Trotsky or if he would have started talking about Hitler, I mean, it would really have been a bombshell. But here's what Michael Orwell, uh, he talks about Animal Farm. He has a whole chapter on it. And, of course, I I could not read the whole chapter to you, um, you know, in one half-hour program. And so, again, you can find this authorized biography of Orwell by Michael Sheldon. You can find it. Uh, it's, I, I found an excellent, beautiful, fine copy of it uh, on abebooks.com. And so I know there's some other ones out there. And it really was very inexpensive. But on page 64, 364, excuse me, uh, he, he talks about why Orwell wrote 1984. Now, there were some things going on in his life. He and his wife uh, had had some kind of marital troubles, and they decided that uh, maybe if they adopted a child, that would help uh, kind of rejuvenate their marriage, and, and uh, uh, that's exactly what happened. And he had just finished um, uh, writing Animal Farm right before they were to uh, bring this little boy home to them. And so I'm just going to open up again. This is page uh, 364. It says, only two months before Richard was born, Orwell completed work on a short book that would change the shape of his career beyond all recognition. Animal Farm would make him a best-selling author not only in Britain, but in the United States and other parts of the world. It was the last thing he suspected would happen to him. He never dreamed that his book would have such a strong impact and was unprepared for the sudden fame that came to him as a result of its success. And so, so when you, when we look back now, and we I mean, we're talking back in the, you know, the mid to late forties when this book was written, and it's still so popular today, and it's even more popular. And hopefully, you know, podcasts like this even you know help it make it even more popular because people need to start thinking about what's really happening, you know, in America, in Britain, New Zealand, and Australia, and especially with this this COVID nineteen shut down, there is, there is a, a, a real radical move to get control of our lives. But no one, not, not every, uh, let's say, news broadcaster is willing to admit that. And there's so many things happening that are not even being covered. And Orwell had seen this in his time, and thankfully he wrote some of these things down so, so we can see what's going on. Now, uh, Sheldon goes on to say, what he had set out to do was simply to make a forceful attack in an imaginative way on the sustaining myths of Soviet communism. Put that way, it hardly sounds like a potential bestseller, and there was no reason for him to assume that it would attract many more readers than his books usually attracted. And he goes on to say a sale of 5,000 copies would have delighted him, but uh, he has sold multiple thousands copies of these books since, since really since 19, the 1940s. And it really did, you know, uh, help him uh, economically, put him on the map, you know, as a writer. And uh, uh, we have to see what he was doing. He said there's, uh, you know, he, he was really 
trying to make a forceful attack on Soviet communism. Now, uh, in one of our previous broadcasts, the very opening broadcast on Animal Farm, I went through, you know, the cast of characters and and uh, what each animal on the farm represented, especially in the pigs. And uh, uh, again, I I just think it was a genius that that here he picked these, um, you know, this this uh, leftist style leaders and he put them in the into the animals of a pig. And, uh, you know, pigs are not the most attractive people, or I shouldn't say people, and I, I get confused because uh, by the end of Animal Farm, you can't tell the difference between a human or a pig, which I think was, was uh, part of his satire, uh, you know, in the book. But he really was going after a problem that, that he saw. And again, uh, if he sold 5,000 copies of a book, he was happy. This one sold multiple thousands of copies. Okay, now... now uh, uh, Michael Sheldon goes on and says the idea for the book had begun in the back of his mind since his return from Spain. And I think we've talked about some of this before uh, in previous broadcasts. It says, having barely escaped from the long reach of Stalin's agents, he began to reflect on how a genuine revolutionary movement in Spain could have allowed itself to come so completely under the control of a dictator living thousands of miles away. And it's interesting, I just heard on a, a news broadcast last night, and uh, one of these, uh, one of the commentators, I'm not necessarily going to name them, but uh, this is a, just about exactly what they brought up, that, that uh, you know, do people realize where all of this could be leading in America? And again, it, it started out, it seemed innocent enough with uh, COVID-19, but uh, you know, when you hear what what uh, people are planning to do now with a supposed second wave, is we're going to lose less and less of our freedoms, and especially in America, where we've had so many, so many freedoms. And so, so you know, this is headed under the control of a dictator. That's where we're going. And uh, uh, I think I think that there's a few things we'll say about Orwell as we go along. I mean, he did, he, he did believe in socialism, but he had kind of an idealistic socialism, and especially from England. I think one of the things that bothered Orwell so much was the class society in England. And, and once you were in a certain class, it was almost impossible to move you know, to an upper class. And so, uh, so I, uh, I don't necessarily want to get into his politics, but I do want, want you to see what, um, what uh, you know, he wanted us to say. And eventually, I, I'm going to be uh, writing an article for thetrumpet.com on why we don't want socialism, and uh, that'll be coming out here, um, you know, one of these days. So um, I have a current article up there uh, now that uh, I'll be tweeting about. So if you if you're following me on Twitter, you'll you'll soon find out what that one's about. But uh, he goes on to, to write in this book, this is page 365, it says, As Orwell made clear in The Lion and the Unicorn, and that is one of his uh, better essays, and I've been, I'm actually reading that right now. It says he wanted to see the triumph of an English socialism untainted by the Soviet model. Yet he continued to be amazed during the Second World War at how obstinate socialists were in supporting that obviously alien model at least it was obvious to Orwell that such a system was alien and that it could possibly not be transplanted to England. 
And what I, I guess what uh, Michael Sheldon is trying to to say here is that 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 Orwell wasn't necessarily against socialism as much as he was against the myths that Soviet-style socialism sponsored. And it's actually the myths or the ideology that were the most dangerous. And, uh, you know, if you get people caught up in ideology, you get people caught up in, in, uh, you know, making these mantras and making these statements that, you know, they'll just go along with it and they're not really thinking what it's, what, what is the final outcome going to be? And I, I think we're, we're seeing that more and more with the Black Lives Matter movement. And that started a couple of years ago, and, and I remember hearing about it, but you never heard as much as you do today. And, uh, you know, what just happened in Chicago uh, over the last couple of days was, you know, it's, it's one of those things that I know, and for me personally, I think things are getting better, and then and something, it seems like something worse happens. And, uh, you know, it's, it's almost like I'm trying to get myself, you know, I have to get myself emotionally under control to realize that, you know, this could really get worse and not get better. And, and I think that's exactly what Orwell saw in happening in England at the close of, of World War II. And, uh, you know, their, their people were, 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 in some ways, actually kind of worshiping Stalin, and worshiping Soviet-style communism. And, uh, you know, we have to be careful with that. He goes on to say, the myth of the revolution blinded its supporters to the ugly aftermath of that revolution. The evil of Stalin's purges, um, it says, could not be admitted because true believers could not afford to admit it. They would cease to be true believers if they did. And, uh, you know, uh, how many times have we, we heard, you know, people in the, as, as some commentators call them, the democratic media, you know, here you have these young people out there saying they're doing peaceful protests, but they're, you know, they're burning, they're burning buildings down. They're, they're destroying cities like Minneapolis. They're destroying Portland. They're, they're, uh, you know, they're, they're, uh, in Portland, they've been, you know, sending their, uh, fireworks and everything towards the federal courthouse and, They've trapped people in it, and they wanted to burn it down. And uh, of course, the, the you know the mayor, uh, the mayor of the city wouldn't do anything about it. Then finally, he comes out recently and says, "You know, when you lock people in a building and you try to set it on fire, you're not protesting. You're about ready to commit murder." And so, so finally, people are beginning to, to say things. But see, uh, Orwell understood that that sometimes you can get caught up in ideology, or you can get caught up in the power of myths, and it actually suppresses rational thought. And, uh, you know, even Mr. Stephen Flurry on the Trumpet Daily radio program has been talking about that. These people are losing their minds. And so, so really, a lot of this is, is very evident in this little book on Animal Farm. Let me just, um, uh, just read it, just a little bit more of this quote. This is again from page 365. It says, The enemy, however, was not really Stalin and his agents, but the power of myths to suppress rational thought and to substitute high-sounding slogans for real debate. I mean, that's, that, that is such a good quote because, um, you know, the, you cannot debate with anybody, you know, if, if you just look at how these, uh, these young people are that are protesting. 
they believe they're right. And you, you can't sit down and have a normal conversation with them or debate with them to show them where they're wrong because they're not going to listen to you. And so, so in, in many ways, uh, Orwell, was, uh, he was really upset with the English and uh, he talked about you know, the ideology of the communists and uh, that's, that was the running narrative at the time and that's all people would listen to. Uh, this, he goes on to say here, it was important to take exception to whether or not one agrees with the record that is being played at the moment. And so, so in, in other words, Orwell knew there was this, uh, uh, and they called them gramophones at that time, or, uh, you know, it, it's, you had to, once you got into what was being said at the moment, you just got caught up in it and all of your rational thought went away. And so, so that's what he's trying to bring out, you know, you know in this book, Animal Farm. And so, uh, it, you know, it is, it is kind of amazing, uh, you know, what, what, uh, what this little book can do for you if you just sit down and read it and then begin to think about it, that it's, it's more like an allegory. It's like an Aesop's fable. And, uh, you know, you're supposed to, it's like the rabbit and the hare. Uh, or the, you know, the, uh, the rabbit and the turtle, I think it is, or maybe it's the hare and the turtle, where, uh, you know, who's going to win, win the race? The rabbit could have won it, but the turtle won it just be by staying consistent. So, uh, so but anyway, I think it's, it's really inter- interesting. So, so it's, it's really, uh, you know, not, uh, let's say, a, a children's story. I just want to read you a quote from uh, the page seven of, of Animal Farm. And this is the uh, this illustrated edition, and and of course, uh, what is the the page I'm going to refer to is when Major is is uh, talking to all the sheep, and the the goats and the ducks and the hens and the horses and the cows, and uh, you know he, he's trying to to get them ready or get them stirred up for revolution, and uh, you know here's what he says: He says, "I have little more to say." I merely repeat, remember always your duty of enmity towards man in all his ways. Whatever goes upon two legs is an enemy. Whatever goes upon four legs or has wings is a friend. And remember also that in fighting against man, we must not come to resemble him. Even when you have conquered him, do not accept his vices. No animal must ever live in a house or sleep in a bed or wear clothes or drink alcohol or smoke tobacco or touch money or engage in trade. All the habits of man are evil, and above all, no animal must ever tyrannize ever over his own kind. Weak or strong, clever or simple, we are all brothers. No animal must ever kill any other animal. All animals are equal. And so, so that is a good symbol of, well, the power of ideology. And, uh, you know, Major uh, you know, was the... Um, uh, uh, he, he's really typifies uh, Vladimir Lenin, and of course Stalin, you know, took over after Lenin died. But uh, it's like uh, Napoleon takes over after Major dies. So, so, but that's the ideology, and that's what Orwell was was uh, really trying to to uh, you know bring out here that that you know the, the pigs got under these ideologies and and the mantras, you know, um, you know the sheep. You know, you know how, and I think it was so great that all the sheep do in the book is just have this little mantra, you know, um, you know, two legs bad, four legs good, you know, 
or four legs good, two legs bad. And that, that's just all they do. You know, sheep, that's all they do is bleat all the time. So, uh, but, but, but honestly, when you look in the story of, of Animal Farm, you know, the pigs, which is major, he was the pig that died. Then the Napoleon and Snowball kind of take over. You know, they, they uh, support this revolution. They promise a utopia. But honestly, by the end of the story, at the, you know, the very end of the book, Napoleon and his pigs have become dictators. And, uh, you know, they, they all were supposed to, to rebel against Farmer Jones. Well, at the end, they treat the animals worse than Mr. Jones. And uh, that's what Orwell was trying to get across about, you know, the, the Soviet-style socialism. It promises a utopia, but then at the end, you're worse off. And, uh, you know, we have to, we have to really we, uh, recognize that. And uh, even in this book, Animal Farm, I mean, Stalin became like this, this mythical hero. And uh, here, by, towards the end of the book, Napoleon, who again is just an offensive pig, <laughs> no, no pun intended. <laughs> but, but, but actually, I'll change that. It was a pun intended. But, but uh, yeah, it's like the, the all the animals worship him. It, this page seventy six of the book, towards the end, you know, he's he's really tightened the screws on all of them. But they call him the father of animals, the terror of mankind, the protector of the sheepfold, duckling's friend, and the like. And then they have one of their poets writes a a poem of praise to him and so so he's like becomes god and uh, orwell saw that was stalin i mean stalin uh you know he he became like a god and uh you know look what happened all right second point i want to make and uh, we have to make these quickly uh because uh, we're running out of time already but animal farm in the story it shows us that the animals become easy prey to the dictators and uh, you know, it, in some ways, th- th- this is exactly what what is happening in our world. Is is honestly, uh, people are just getting sucked into it. And uh, you know, obviously, COVID nineteen is a problem. Obviously, we have to be careful. But but if you if you look at what some of these medical leaders are doing to us, is you know. Uh, Certainly, social distancing. I mean, I grew up in a family with seven kids. When when one of us got the measles, we automatically social distanced. You know, we we were taught to wash our hands and all that. But but now, I mean, they have. Uh, my, my son-in-law was telling me he was at down at one of the stores, and an older older gentleman walked in with a face mask, and he had a a motorcycle helmet with a with a, a shield on it. And so, so, and he, he, you could hardly understand what he was saying, but he, but he's like doing what Fauci says, you know, and, uh, and, uh, you know, we, we hear from Mr. Stephen Floyer that people are walking into the airports with hazmat suits on. And so, so, but still, if you look at the facts and, and that's where people or well saw it, their, their rational thinking goes away. But if you look at the stats, I mean, even with COVID-19, the, the death toll in America isn't any more. In fact, I think it's even less than it was last year at this time. And so people are dying every day. And so, so here's what um, Sheldon says. He says, the animals, this is page 370, by the way. It says, the animals allow themselves to become easy prey for Napoleon, who, re- who relentlessly accumulates power 
by playing on the weaknesses of his comrades. However much Orwell may have uh, wanted to it to, to be otherwise, he was realistic enough to see that revolutions create reactionary elements within them and that sooner or later the bright promise of early success is obscured by attacks from those elements. The promise was still worth believing and in fighting for, but there was nothing to be gained from denying the hard realities. And uh, the, 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 the point is, uh, the, the character Boxer in Animal Farm is just a hard, hard worker, and uh, you know, he's always working hard to see things uh, you know, go the right way. So there's a lot of people out there who are just becoming prey to the dictators are really uh, trying to take over. Okay, the last point I want to make quickly is uh, the revolutionary leaders, um, you know, their governing style is simply to make up things as you go. And, of course, there's the cancellation of history. By the end of Animal Farm, the, the, the animals are so confused by what they've been told, they can't remember the history of what's going on. And, uh, you know, uh, people today want to get rid of history. Uh, you know, there was a, a political leader in uh, the Chicago area that said we need to not teach history anymore until we get the books fixed. And so essentially they're going to whitewash history. And so, so uh, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I want to just uh, take the time and just show you, uh, you know, what happened with the Seven Commandments. You know, after Major's big speech, uh, these were the Seven Commandments. Whatever goes on two legs is an enemy. Two, whatever goes upon four legs or has wings is a friend. No animal shall wear clothes. No animal shall sleep in a bed. No animal shall drink alcohol. No animal shall kill any other animal. All animals are equal. And so periodically throughout the book, these commandments change. And then by the end, by the end of the book, all the seven commandments are actually reduced to just one big statement. All animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. That's, the, that's how they diluted it all. And so, so the, the thing is, you know, we have to see that there is a real effort right now to, well, make things up as you go. Uh, I even watched the, the interview with, with uh, uh, the, you know, Dr. Fauci and, uh, you know, the, the, uh, they were talking about masks and then the, the uh, commentator said, well, do you think you should wear goggles? And he goes, well, you know, I never thought about that. Yeah, but that would be a good idea. And so now it's, now it's helmets and it's hazmat suits. And so, so they are making things up as, as they go. So, so anyway, the, the, the point is, I really think you need to read the book, and I think you would get a lot out of it, and then you could stay close to this podcast because we will be continuing with the oral series. Well, that's all the time we have for today's program. So next time, we will be bringing back the men's panel for our continued discussion of Orwell's 1984. Now, you can buy Animal Farm at Amazon.com. You can find a copy in your local bookstore. Of course, you can also check your local library. Please write me any comments you may have to jbl at pcog.org. You can also follow JBL on Twitter at jbliterature1. You can also follow JBL on Facebook. Simply search for Just the Best Literature. Now, the Facebook page, I have my new assistant for the next year, and he's going to be helping me spruce up that page. So... Uh, Give us a few weeks and Facebook will really be shining again. So, until next time, keep reading.
You've been listening to just the best literature on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG, streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.